And I think they're not just asking for questions like, do you measure your carbon emissions? But it's kind of evolved to, do you have a carbon reduction goal? Or even, do you have a science-based target? So the maturity of the questions um, that are coming in, you know, has definitely amplified. And for a B2B business especially, I think that's, that's a huge driver for them um, and really important for them to be, you know, getting ahead of. Hello, welcome back. This is Amat Gomis with ESG Matters, and I have Jen Anderson, Senior Vice President at Box Global. To give you a little bit of background on Jen, Jen works with companies to implement corporate sustainability programs and strategies. She's worked with clients more so on data reporting, such as Global Reporting Initiative, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. She's aided efforts to promote the adoption of sustainability initiatives, both in business and in society. Her focus is much more on uh, environmental issues, including climate change. And she's worked with industry leading companies in telecommunications, retail, financial services, industrials, transportation, beverage, footwear, energy, and a host of others. So I want to first welcome Jen Anderson to the podcast. Thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here. Jen, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into sustainability and sort of what keeps you in the field? Yeah, definitely. I've been doing this work for about 14 years. I got into it more from kind of a policy standpoint. I was really interested in policy issues related to a lot of the issues that we know, you know, as ESG issues today, such as climate change, uh, pollution, such like that. So that's kind of the, you know, how I got into it and ended up kind of landing in the corporate sphere, working with with corporations on this topic. And I think it was like 2009, was working with a client that needed to do their first sustainability report. So I went off and I got trained in the Global Reporting Initiative, which was still kind of emerging and um, increasing in uptake at the time. Really enjoyed that. Uh, I think the thing I really liked the most about reporting was that, you know, you just kind of laid all those environmental and social topics out there. And then these frameworks gave companies a way to really measure them and to set goals and to try to make progress. And it was just like kind of a really exciting time to be in the field because it was all emerging. Everyone was trying to, you know, still figure out what is this sustainability or CSR or corporate responsibility, whatever you want to call it. You know, what is this field about? You know, what is our job in title? I remember going to conferences and just, you know, picking brains of, of other people, both from companies and other consultancies. There was also very kind of collegial energy to it all because I think um, everyone was trying to kind of, you know, figure it out. So, you know, as time has passed, um, a lot more companies have obviously stepped into building um, corporate responsibility programs, ESG programs. A lot of them, um, you know, have taken up reporting. And that has really evolved over the years from becoming kind of a communications PR marketing exercise to really be, you know, much more grounded in creating material that's relevant for the investor audience so that they can, you know, understand how the company is affected by these big, oftentimes macro uh, global issues. So it's been really, really fun to be part of the process. I've been at um, the firm where I'm at right now, Vox Global, for the whole journey um, and work with an awesome team there. And we get to work with clients in a variety of fields from 
technology to retail, to apparel, to beverages, to the financial services realm. So I've learned a lot along the way. And I think that's something that's kind of kept me going. I think what excites me about this field is, you know, it's always evolving. It's always trying to push the envelope and always something new to learn. You bring up a really good point about the evolution of sustainability and sustainability reporting and the need to push the field. And I remember when I was involved, a lot in the beginning was really focused on just producing something. Companies that were transparent and provided any data were considered leaders. Now, fast forward to 2022, there's so many more opportunities to organize the data, like with the Global Reporting Initiative, as you mentioned, with SASB, with TCFD and others. I was wondering, have you started to see any trends or whether it be consolidation of reporting or other emerging uh, reporting mechanisms that companies need to have on their radar? Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. I mean, I think there's been more change in the reporting field in the last two or three years probably than, you know, the previous 10. I think a lot of that has been driven by the investor community and the interest in mainstream investors and the popularity of the ESG funds. And I think a lot of companies are seeing not only the risk mitigation that needs to happen with getting a strong, you know, ESG program built and strong reporting mechanisms, but also the opportunity to be listed on some of these funds um, and kind of just the interest there. So that is you know, accelerated the pace of change. As far as kind of what the big changes are, I think, you know, as I was referencing earlier, these corporate responsibility start, uh, reports started as, you know, here's all the great things we're doing. And it was kind of, you know, a little more focused on social um, topics or on things like recycling programs or different facilities like uh, water efficiency efforts, which, you know, are all important. But you I think You kind of describe them almost as, as like low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to put it. And, you know, also low hanging fruits, not always at kind of the core center of the tree. So now you're getting more to kind of the core of the business and, you know, bigger questions around, you know, what the companies are doing to help reduce their greenhouse gas emissions to address climate change. And so it's gone from, you know, as you said, that low hanging fruit and that kind of more kind of vignette storytelling to really focusing on what's the data, how is this tied into our business, how are we governing these issues, how does the board have oversight on these issues. And I think, you know, the frameworks that started kind of GRI was the big, the big framework and then SASB came out and that's increased with um with time and popularity. And when, when BlackRock recommended TCFD and SASB, um, I think in Larry Fink uh, noted them in a letter, you know, one year or two years ago, that really accelerated the uptake of those two frameworks. And so you're seeing much more of a migration from kind of this PDF that was highly designed and had all the, you know, information in it to a more modular approach to reporting where you have your, your, you know, GRI table, your SASB table, your TCFD table. Um, Maybe you have a collection of, you know, topic briefs or, you know, different, you know, climate transition reports and your human capital report. There are just so many more pieces to meet all the different requirements out of there that are coming from all the stakeholders. That's kind of where, where they're headed. And I think with the SEC saying that they're intending to do some rulemaking around ESG and around climate, 
I think that move to kind of more modular reporting is is only going to intensify. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on the modularity of ESG reporting and how critical that is, especially for the audiences that you're trying to reach. Because with a sustainability report, I think there's always a tension between like, who are you really trying to write this for? Are you writing it for the market? Are you writing it for the field? Who are you really looking to, to write this for? And oftentimes the investors are the most identifiable consumers of the data so that they can make financial decisions on ESG. Because I think for a lot of them, ESG, environmental, social, corporate governance, data, and how do you address these issues really speak to, are you a good business? How are you managing resources in the most effective manner for the business's longevity. And I think with the SEC getting involved, they're looking, they're probably going to look at it in that way as well. So there may be an opportunity for businesses who haven't traditionally reviewed and really paid that much attention to ESG because they think, oh, I'm in a specific industry that's not heavily extractive, or I'm not focused on the consumer, I'm focused on other businesses that this is not a value for me to be involved in. And I think companies that want to survive and want to thrive will need to pivot their thinking when it comes to sustainability to look at the reporting as an opportunity to control the narrative, address any opportunities for growth and enhancement, and then make sure that the SEC and other regulatory bodies understand what's most germane to your industry and report on that. Oftentimes. I've seen when governments get involved, they don't have full information. So they're, they're, use, they're using data that sometimes is out of date or it's not applicable to a specific industry. And that's the best way to really sort of get, get on top of this, make sure that the uh, SEC and other regulatory bodies understand what is really germane to your industry. So in thinking about that, when you're having these conversations with clients about the future of reporting or how best to report. Are there any best practices? You talked about modularity that companies should start to implement so that they can be ahead of the game or at least in the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think any company, if they haven't already, should do a materiality assessment. Borrowed from the financial meaning of the materiality assessment is really just kind of engaging stakeholders both internally and externally, to gauge their feedback on what the most important topics are for the organization. Because I think, you know, as you kind of referenced earlier, ESG can can be so broad that you could, you know, put out data and put out policies and goals and initiatives under so many different topics. And it might not necessarily be giving a strong indication on what's actually going to be impacting your business, what is your business actually impacting. And that's just a really important principle when it comes to reporting. Otherwise, you're kind of doing it all and nothing probably particularly well. So really getting a strong sense of what are our most material ESG topics um, is just a super important first step. And that assessment is not like a one and done because the world is evolving so rapidly, so many new issues. I mean, 
if you think about it, like, you know, in 2019, if you had thought um, a global pandemic would be that, you know, one of the number one issues facing companies, we, we probably wouldn't have, have thought that to be too likely. But, you know, here we are. It's something that needs to be reevaluated and updated at least every, you know, two years, I would say. And when there are big changes in the company, like mergers and acquisitions. So that's what I would say is kind of the number one is, you know, do that assessment, really be clear on on what your most material ESG topics are. The second thing I would say is do a lot of benchmarking. Know what your peers are reporting on, what they're talking about, how they're measuring things, what programs they're a part of. I, I talked at the beginning about kind of the information sharing that can happen sometimes more openly in the sustainability realm. And I think as we're building these systems now, there's some benefit to industry collaboration to understand, you know, what are the best measurements for understanding how our industry is performing in this field. And then also that is giving investors comparability, which they always, you know, appreciate. And I think is something that might be lacking a little bit right now um, from different, you know, analysts that I've talked to is, is the ability to really compare. So I think benchmarking, really important piece of it. Um, and then the format, you know, like like you said, the modularity piece, I, I feel pretty strongly about making sure that your report is easy to navigate. And that doesn't, doesn't necessarily putting it all online. You know, a PDF can be very well done and can be the right solution for a lot of companies. Just make sure it's easy to move through and that you have good navigation. Because a lot of times, you know, as you said earlier, there's a lot of different audiences coming to access this information. You want to make sure that that audience that person is getting to it quickly, getting what they need and moving on to the next thing. Because I think, you know, a lot of the forms that are built are sometimes, you know, populated by by analysts who who just, you know, if they can't find something after a little bit of searching are going to move on and assume that perhaps it might not exist. So building a PDF or a web structure um, that has really strong navigation, really, really important. Also thinking about the tie to other websites to other communication vehicles across your company. So, you know, with the rise of investor interest, how are investors trying to access the information? They, you know, a lot of them might be going through the investor relations website. Is there a prominent pathway for them to get from the investor relations website on to your ESG report? You know, other companies, maybe your customer or an NGO who's maybe coming through the main site is there a way for them to get to the information? So looking holistically at how the information is being presented, where it sits within, you know, the the larger corporate communication structure, I think those are all, you know, really important pieces to consider. So just to summarize, there sounds like there's four things that companies who are currently in their reporting program or starting a reporting program, first, they should do a materiality assessment. Uh, to understand what's most important to their business from a variety of different stakeholders to that they should benchmark their competitors to understand what are they doing to, and see how are you how are you stacking up against your field and your peers and then make decisions based on that. And third, look to how are you presenting this information and making sure that it is Number four, making sure that it's easily accessible to the audiences you're trying to reach. So I think that's the fourth one is really important because oftentimes companies kind of want to shy away from things in the sustainability report, especially if there's something in there that they don't aren't really comfortable sharing. So they kind of bury it, but burying it causes more issues than just being upfront. And I think if people, if businesses really start to think about the sustainability report as an opportunity 
apart from the annual report, to drive home a narrative of how are you a good corporate citizen? How are you managing your resources effectively? And how do you maintain or retain top talent? I think that that's a, a really interesting lens to, to frame this with because that way you're really hitting on the things that investors care about and as well as things that your customers, even if you're a, a B2B company, cares about. We are starting to see that companies are looking in their value chain and using their influence to push uh, their suppliers to start to report uh, sustainability metrics and measurements. A lot of it really focus on scope, on the various uh, scopes, scope one, two, and three, because that's a that's a really important uh, part of any company's uh, sustainability journey is understanding their carbon footprint. So I just want to ask you, in your work, have you seen or how what has been the reaction that you've had when clients are starting to see that not only do we think that NGOs care about this, but our major clients are starting to request this type of data? Has there been a change in their level of interest in reporting or has it kind of been the same? Yeah, I agree. That's definitely one driver of this. And it probably depends on the company, you know, on what the biggest driver is. I think a lot of the companies that are held by institutional investors, that's been a big, big driver for them. But absolutely, definitely clients. Um, And they're asking more questions and they're asking smarter questions. And I think they're not just asking for questions like, do you have do you measure your carbon emissions? But it's kind of evolved to, do you have a carbon reduction goal? Or even, do you have a science-based target? So the maturity of the questions um, that are coming in, you know, has definitely amplified. And for a B2B business, especially, I think that's that's a huge driver for them, um, really important for them to be, you know, getting ahead of. So you mentioned um, two things. One being, I guess, one, something we've talked about offline, which is, the science-based targets. And I just want you to go a little bit in depth into what does that mean as a concept? What does that mean for people who may not understand or may not know? And then also give your feedback on where do you think that will lead in the future? Like what is the end goal that that companies are looking to accomplish by having like a net zero goal or science-based target? Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar or as steeped in it as uh, you and I are, Amat, the science-based target initiative uh, was an initiative developed, I think it was kind of originally by a, a handful of NGOs like CDP and WWF. I think it was originally called Mind the Gap or something like that. But the whole point of it was companies are out there setting all these greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals. A lot of them are probably forecasting you know, something that's achievable. And the environmental community said, you know, we know the science. We know we've got to get to zero by 2050. We know we've got to make considerable progress by then. Before then, should we, we should be holding companies and organizations to set goals that are aligned with where the science tells us we need to go. Or, you know, the change is going to be so incremental that we're never going to get there. So this organization called the Science-Based Target Initiative was born. Several methodologies for different industries were developed in how you go in and you develop a science-based target for your emissions. And a lot of companies have now set such goals, uh, which is great because I think it also puts companies, you know, on a, you know, I was talking about comparability. It, It puts them on kind of the same level of, all right, we all are measuring this the same way. 
we all know kind of our piece of the pie um, and the progress that we need to make in the time frame that we need to make it. So that has been, um, a, you know, there's been a big uptake in that, like different ratings and rankings are now asking, do you have a science-based target and awarding points versus based on whether you do or not? And then I think more recently, what's become more popular is to have a carbon neutral or a net zero uh, target. So um, I think something like 50% of the Fortune Global 200 have established um, at least a partial or total uh, elimination goal for greenhouse gas emissions. Something like 25 have, have set a concrete date for getting to net zero or to carbon neutrality. And I think that's a lot of that kind of was powered by the science-based target initiative work that said, we do need to get to zero and, you know, we need to have some commitments and some sense of the pathway of how we're going to get there. Yes, 100%. Thank you for explaining that for folks. I will just give my quick sort of two cents into that is that oftentimes with science-based targets and with reporting generally, one thing that can't be stressed enough is the collaborative nature of it where you really have to, even if you're the one collecting the data, reporting it, you really have to work with all units within your, all business units um, within the company. So this can't necessarily just sit in one organization or a silo. It really is a way to gather all aspects of the business behind a specific topic or a variety of topics and make sure that everyone understands the value this brings. So with that means is that companies, one, have to work collaboratively and break those silos. If you want your reporting program to truly reflect all the good things that you're doing as a business, and two, when it comes to setting goals, like a carbon neutral goal, it's very important for all businesses to understand the various components of the business and their contribution to that goal. Uh, I think some of the things that we've seen in the past is that companies maybe set an amazing goal and then the company struggles with how are we going to actually meet that goal or what's my portion of the goal I need to accomplish. And I think with reporting, there's a great opportunity for, for any business to really sit down and talk with the various leaders within the business to understand what are the drivers, what are you trying to do and to really be collaborative. That's just my own two cents because I have been on the opposite end of reporting where someone hands you a mandate and says, thanks, bye. So I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the various things that reporting programs do. And I can understand if someone who's a in the C-suite of a maybe a Fortune 1000 company that hasn't really had a lot of attention on their on their industry or their business because that's just not something that they've had to, they've gotten pressure for, but they do hear this and they, they understand that it's just, it's a matter of time before they have to start. And they're kind of just flustered with all the things that, you know, the, the acronyms we've mentioned, the concepts we mentioned, how has, um, how can you and what Boxflow will do help? Because I think it's really important for folks to understand that there's a lifeline out there and they're not alone in trying to, complete a lot of this uh, data request. And we work with a lot of first-time reporters or companies who are trying to build their ESG program. And, you know, the first thing that we do is to just kind of assess where they are, what the current state is, 
what are the different pressures they're receiving and who are the different audiences that are you know making this really important for them and then kind of doing a risk opportunity analysis of you know what are the components of ESG and reporting that present a risk and what are the ones that present an opportunity and I think you were talking a little bit about that opportunity piece earlier which is really important getting out there telling your story um, there's a lot of potential benefit to that. So that's kind of the first thing we'll do. And then um, the materiality assessment, like I was talking about earlier, um, just huge proponent of that and, and really going out. And it's just kind of like a listening exercise where you go out and you survey, you first identify kind of your whole list of stakeholders, um, customer groups, policymakers, different uh, investor groups, employees, and um, get samples from each and go out and survey and ask them to let you know what are the most important ESG topics. And the insights gathered from that process are so rich and can really help, you know, if, a, if an organization, a company feels like they're, they don't know which direction to set sail into, it can really help set the course um, of, you know, what they need to focus on, the steps they need to take. So that's a big thing. And then starting small, not trying to, you know, bite off too much because building the systems, as you referenced earlier, when you were talking about getting everyone around the table to set the science-based target or the carbon emissions goal, so important to have buy-in from all the different organizations in the company that are touching this work. So, um, you know, HR, corporate real estate, supply chain, investor relations, corporate communications, all of them should be at the table. And the other thing we, we do is to help kind of build governance structures where you're getting folks involved who are representing all of those groups in the work in both the reporting, but also in the programming part of it, um, in setting goals and building initiatives to actually meet those goals. Um, and when you have truly that full company participation, you can really notice the difference in the progress that, um, that you're able to make. Yes, 100%. So that's really good information to know and understand. So I just want to thank you so much, Jen, for, for joining the podcast and talking about reporting and where you think it is and how companies who may not have a sustainability story or they, they don't think that they have one, how they can start that and really communicate that to external stakeholders. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks.